Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com. And across the state of Alaska... On this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, good morning. Welcome to Tuesday. Who brought the tacos? That's my question. Who brought the tacos? Uh, I'm thinking about them uh, bacon tacos, you know, where they actually make the taco shells out of bacon. They weave it up and then they put it in the little things and then they cook it and then you fill it with eggs. Man, those are some tacos that I could get behind today. I'm telling you right now. Yummy. Good morning and welcome. Uh, Tuesday edition means that uh, we're going to be diving into the weekly top three. And boy, I tell you what, today there's some interesting uh, things going on in the weekly top three, including something that I was completely unaware about, which is some confusion that's going to be affecting us in the K-12 funding this year. Uh, a move by the state which, uh, well, let's just say it's going to be uh, it's gonna be real interesting. Let's just put it that way. I don't know exactly the reason why. I don't know exactly why it's happening. Uh, maybe we can get a little more insight from Brad on this as we jump into this. Um, but we're going to talk about the, uh, the more confusion in the uh, – K-12 funding, uh, the depth of the Alaska disconnect, and how we've got even more sources of strain for the Alaska budget coming. We'll be talking about all of those here in uh, just a little bit with Brad Keithley uh, from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, our normal Tuesday guest here for the weekly top three. Also joining us in hour two will be Chris story the man the myth the legend <clears throat> in his own mind uh he'll he's gonna come in and uh talk with us about some um well i don't know what he's gonna talk about but it's always good i always enjoy it i uh, hope you do as well so chris is going to be joining us and we'll be talking with him about well some kind of good life improvement thing so it'll be fun so welcome to everybody. Thank you for coming in and joining us. Oh, Eskimo Libertarians in the chat room. Speaking of the chat room, don't forget you can always come out and join us in the chat on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch. Any one of those three platforms is available. Why? Well, because, I mean, you, I needed to offer something new. That was, that's why. That's what we're going to, that's what we're going to do. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, head on over and uh, check us out. Facebook.com slash Michael Duke show, YouTube.com slash Michael Duke show, um, or twitch.tv slash yes, you guessed it. Michael Duke show. Um, anyway, that's the, uh, the best way to hit it. So, uh, got some interesting stories for you this morning. Just a few things that are going on around, uh, around the state and around the world. Um, I had to laugh because 
I mean, this is, it's news, but is it really, is it really news? Um, I had to laugh at this uh, piece that was over at uh, Alaska's news source, uh, KTUU.com. Um, the <laughs> Alaska gas prices among the highest in the nation. And there is so much deep and biting irony in that situation. I just don't even know where to begin. Uh, but as as the headline says, Alaska gas prices definitely up there only... We have the fifth highest gas price in the country, trailing only behind California, Washington, Oregon, and Hawaii. So apparently all the West Coast nations, they're just like gluttons. They need that high gas price. I just, you know, woof, man. Uh, last year, gas prices in Alaska peaked at about $5.60 per gallon. Uh, which is higher than the current average uh, of a dollar thirty. We're paying about uh, uh, almost a dollar thirty higher, rather. We're paying about four dollars and thirty three cents a gallon right now for gas. Unless you're like me, in which case you have to use Supreme. Uh, in which case you're paying a lot more. <laughs> I'm paying like five dollars a gallon right now. Gas prices are expected to steadily increase over the remainder of this summer. So, you know, buy low, sell high if you want to stock up on some gasoline, I guess. Um, the uh, Southeast Alaska has seen the highest prices with Sitka reporting 518, Prince, Prince of Wales Island reporting 494, Cordova at 494. I'm sure that there's actually higher prices up somewhere up on the North Slope or in the villages, which are not counted in this AAA report because there's no highways there which I'm sure is what AAA is counting on. Although Sitka doesn't really have a highway either. I, I don't know. Uh, I know that prices in certain areas, and maybe Sean, who's up in Kotzebue, can tell us this morning, or Willie out in Quinnahawk, who listen. They both listen to the show on the stream and talk in the chat room occasionally. Maybe they can tell us. But last I heard, it was, you know, six, seven bucks a gallon. So anyway, <clears throat> it's all ironic that here we sit on some of the largest oil and gas reserves in the nation. Uh, we actually refine some of our own fuel here in the state, and yet we are in the top five in the nation as far as gas prices go. There's there's some there's some deep and bitter irony in all those situations. But that's I mean we gotta do it. We gotta we gotta have it to live. You gotta continue on. That's how you get to work and that's how you mow your lawn and that's how you do all the things. Unless you're one of these people who's got one of the has it has anybody bought an electric mower? My uh, my buddy uh, bought an electric mower for a variety of reasons, um, but mostly because he said he hated lugging the his. There's he's got a he's got to lug his gas uh, mower up over a retaining wall, and there's there's a whole thing, and he's like <clears throat> this other mower was lighter, and it was easier. And it was quieter. And he, so he bought an electric mower and he's he's loving it. He told me. He lo and in fact, it was part of my impetus to um, I bought a new my weed whacker died after. Well, I don't know. I had it for 10 years and that was before Terry's grandfather had it for I don't know how many years I got it from him originally. Um, and it finally died. Uh, Gas powered uh, weed whacker. So I went out and I bought a I bought a battery powered one. Because in part because my buddy was so hot to trot on this uh, um, battery powered mower, 
So I got a bat. I wasn't ready to go full mower route. I got a gas mower for that, but I went out and bought a uh, battery powered weed whacker. Um, I got a DeWalt one cause I got all these DeWalt tools, with all the same batteries. And I was like, Hmm, and it works slick, works slick, man. I just, I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's a total sidebar, but I had to laugh just because it was like, it's a shock to us or it's some kind of headline news that we pay the highest gas prices in the nation. The irony is just so deep on this. I just don't even know where to begin. Um, all right. What else we got here? Um, headlines for folks in the Matsu with less than three weeks of summer remaining and summer vacation. More importantly, the Matsu Education Association, which is the union that represents teachers in the uh, Matsu uh, borough, uh, has approved an agreement with the Matsu Borough School Board. They had authorized a strike in May if no new contract could be hammered out. And, of course, the Matsu has been under a <clears throat> just a between the pandemic and then you come back and then there was the school bus driver strike and then there was the threat of this teacher strike. Matsu parents have got to be just pulling their hair out trying to figure out what's going on. According to details obtained in Must Read Alaska, the agreement gives the teachers a 3% raise and changes terms relating to the health insurance package. The district had offered a 2% raise during the negotiation, but instead they were like, nope, uh, we want three. And so they got three. The new contract was over, approved by over 20, excuse me, 72% of the members. And uh, MSC, MSCA represents about 3,400 teachers and support staff who have been without a contract since last year. I hate that phraseology. They haven't been without a contract. They've been operate, operating under the previous contract, which has an evergreen clause in it, I'm sure, that basically says this stands until a new contract is negotiated. So they've not been operating without a contract. They've just not been operating under the old contract. It's, I know it's, a, it's splitting hairs, but that's just one of the things that bothers me. Um, anyway, the uh, teachers union, which is an affiliate of the NEA, is suffering from a marked decline in membership since the Janus decision. Now more than 35% of all Alaska public employees have opted out of paying the unions that represent them. So good for, good for them. So the school board is going to vote on the agreement, uh, tomorrow at its regular school, uh, regular meeting school in the Matsu starts in 14 days, two weeks. When did Man, I remember when you had all of August. I would have really sucked hard if I had had to go to school on my birthday. I would have been really, that would have really, <clears throat> that would have really been a bummer. Uh, finally, before we go uh, here, if you have an email address that ends with at gci.net, well, I'm very sad for you. I'm very sad for you because GCI in a leaked email, that got out apparently ahead of time and has really made some people mad, uh, has now announced that it will end its email service sometime middle of next year. So if you have an email address that is attached to your GCI account that you've been using for decades, I know some people have, I think my dad has got one that's been, he's been using for years. Um, if it is got at GCI in it at the end, that's going to go away. They're going to stop doing it. Um, because, uh, it has, uh, things have changed. They said they stopped offering the GCI.net accounts eight years ago. So th there's 40,000 people that are currently have email addresses at GCI. 
And those 40,000 people have been with GCI obviously more than eight years. Um, but they said it has become more expensive and more convoluted. And with other offers, uh, offerings out there like Yahoo and GC, uh, Gmail and, and Outlook and everything else, uh, those service companies have provided uh, much greater services and much more detailed and up-to-date. And it's just expensive and they don't want to do it anymore. Um and so people are been out of shape because they've had the GCI email addresses for, well, decades. Some people have had them for decades. GCI has been in existence since the mid-90s, early 90s. Uh, well, no, they've been in existence since 79 as a telecom company, but they started doing internet in the early 90s. So anyway, um, if you have a GCI address, you, you got about less than a year. And they said that they may be charging, what did they say, $4.99 a month? Uh, they said because of the complexity and cost of maintaining the email program, GCI will likely implement a fee later this year for customers who continue to use the email service. She said the fee will be $4.99 a month, and customers who pay it will still see the email service until mid-next year. So it's, it's ending regardless of whether you're paying or not. So they're going to they're going to so if you've got everything in your life tied up to your G, your GCI address, you know, your bill pay, your phone stuff and everything, you better start changing now. I've been using Gmail for 20 years. So I guess I mean, I understand how screwed you'd be if you uh, if you if you had to switch email services at this point. But uh, just a heads up, if you've got a GCI email address, you probably Want to pick another one right now and start that transfer. They've got a whole thing on their website about how to transfer your address books and archive your email and do everything. It's all there. So, but just the heads up, it's coming. It's coming. Awesome. All right. Uh, out of time. Got to go. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is going to be joining us here in just a hot minute. I just realized that I forgot to send him the invite thing. Uh, so I'm going to do that right now. Uh, back with more of the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free, like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. I forgot to send Brad the link this morning. That was a little um, bummer. Bummer. Um, Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hello? Hello. Um, hi to everybody. That would be a good title for a podcast, says Brian. Uh, the Alaska Disconnect, Tales of Delusion. Not, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, okay, that. Eskimo Libertarian says, man, if we only had refineries and could remove the Jones Act. <laughs> oh. All right. Um, $9 and chains for gas at Port Allsworth. Yeah. 
Paying so much for fuel in Alaska is like starving to death across the street from a McDonald's for no reason. Uh, oh. um, bacon tacos do sound good. Yes, they do. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just going through these. I, I could see Brad in the green room here. Let me just, I'm just going through the, the quotes and the comments real quick. Brad's throwing his hands up like, what? You forgot about me? I did not. You're there. I can see you. Um, all right, let me bring him on before he, before he bursts, before he bursts a blood vessel. I know probably the stress inducing was high because I forgot to give you a cup. Well, Hey, how are you? I'm sorry about that. I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, I've got everything done for this morning. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I'm doing fine. I had a few, few, uh, back room uh, issues this morning, trying to get all the hookup done. Oh, did you? So, uh, so your delay in getting, getting the link to me worked out fine. You're like in a dark alley or something. What are you doing there? I mean, this is a. Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I was no. trying to do various things. Oh no. shoot! I turned off the wrong thing. You turned off the wrong thing. <laughs> Got to turn the turn that light back on. What do you know there? Okay, I like. There, oh, there you go. Oh Lord, it's uh, a it's a it's it's a big morning here, Michael. Hey, <laughs> uh, I f- I'm back in Anchorage and I'm trying to get everything working again. No, hey, I feel you, man. No big deal. It uh, it is good. Uh, let me go back over here. Everybody's like, I love my cordless impact driver, but um, I don't have the real deal battery powered. I got to tell you, I think that especially because I've got the big 20 volt battery operated stuff, the big uh, the professional level stuff, because I just like I mean, I'm not nothing irritates me more than tools that don't work. Um I think that especially those big 20 volt battery ones, those are those do a good job. And I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised. I was ready to return this the minute that I bought it because I was afraid it wasn't going to work. And uh, it's great. It's uh, it's great. Um, <laughs> all right. Let me go through here. Brad's still working on stuff. Forgot, I am. Yeah. Forgot to let Brad in. Put him in a hole in the ground. I swear if I hear someone yelling, I put the lotion in the basket. I'm calling the troopers to save Brad. Yes, it puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Um, I'm flexing. I wasn't trying to flex. I'm just saying I hate tools that don't work. So I'm willing to spend the extra 20 bucks or whatever it is to get the higher level battery ones. I don't get the I don't get the cheesy ones. Um, crazy chainsaw is what got me. I got one for Christmas, but she made me buy my own batteries. Ooh, ow. That's the thing. The batteries are the most expensive part. I mean, I go to buy the tool or the tool with the batteries. The difference between the tool and the tool with the batteries is like $20. And if you buy just the tool, the batteries are like $99 or $100 a piece. I'm like, no, I'll take the ones with the kit. That's how I ended up with so many batteries. <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. Well, that's uh, that's the new world. Brad is getting... Uh, all, I'm getting there. He's all squ- getting there. he's getting there. He's getting all squared away. All right. So we're gonna join in here. We're about uh, 30 seconds out right now. So <sighs> there we go. That's the ding. You know what that means. Um there we go. All right. The Michael Duke show. Please like and share, like and follow. Uh do all the things on uh YouTube and 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 Facebook and all that stuff. Let's get more people involved in the conversation. Um, we will uh, we will get uh, we'll get it all uh, squared away. Back with more. <laughs> Here we go. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. 
He's trying to break the world over there. Uh, let's do it. Uh, here we go right now. Welcome back to Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Brad Keithley, our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the weekly top three. I could see Brad's getting just a taste of what it's like to be me in the morning with all the technical <laughs> stuff. Brad's dashing around in the background trying to get everything uh, all squared away. Hello, my friend. How uh, How's it? You're back in back in uh, God's country and ready to go? I'm 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 back home, ready to go, and I, and I need a producer now. Yeah, you need a pro- need somebody to come over and set all that stuff up for you, you know, and everything else. It's uh, it could be a challenge sometimes when you're trying to run all the stuff all at once. It so. can. I mean, you know, cameras and lights and background and everything yeah. else. It's no, just a- I mean, I used to just do a simple radio show where I was alone <laughs> in a small box with a microphone, and that was it. And now it looks like I'm driving the freaking space shuttle here, uh, with <laughs> lights and power and things behind me and everything else it's you know it's it's how we transition my friend it's always evolution and change all right well let's uh dive into this uh brad we got a we got a lot to talk about today um and some stuff that i was not even aware of it's interesting but first let's start off with a this is kind of a classic uh because scott goldsmith used to talk about this uh the alaska disconnect uh and uh, you're saying this recent article from gunner knapp in the adn is highlighting how that disconnect is uh, maybe bigger than we think. Let's uh, let's get into this here. Well, Gunner's uh, Gunner wrote a letter. Gunner Knapp, who former head of ICER, uh, one of the economists that uh, have talked, which a lot is about, the Institute for Socioeconomic Research at the University of Alaska Anchorage. I just for those of you who are just joining us and haven't been with us for years, <laughs> ICER is that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> That's right. Shorthand. Um, so Gunner used to be the director of ICER. Uh, and uh, is one of those uh, economists that have has built a reputation uh, talking about Alaska fiscal policy uh, over the years, over the decades, actually. And uh, there was a letter to the ADN uh, a while back uh, talking about climate change and saying one of the benefits of climate change to Alaska would, would, would be that we would have a bunch of climate change refugees uh, moving to Alaska, that Alaska would be... Uh, uh, a favorite spot for uh, for people moving uh, from uh, the lower 48 to get away from the weather, and in fact, I sometimes describe myself have described myself over the years as a humidity refugee. Uh, before moving to Alaska, <laughs> I lived in uh, Dallas and Houston. Spent a lot of time in Houston over the years, and and I just finally had it with humidity. And uh, and one of the reasons that uh, I finally moved up here was uh, was to get away from the humidity. So it th- that that letter sort of resonated with me a little bit about you know people moving here. But Gunner's response, I think, was an excellent one. Gunner uh, took the opportunity of that letter uh, to the editor to respond and say, "Look, um, yeah, it might be nice to have a bunch of people moving to Alaska, but but the Alaska disconnect kicks in, and the Alaska disconnect." Is this uh, is this uh, 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 analysis that Scott Goldsmith of ICER, former director of ICER, also before Gunner, um, uh, Scott Goldsmith developed years ago and said, "Look, you know, people moving to Alaska might be nice, but it it increases the burden on the state because they don't bring with them or they don't contribute to the state 
state government, the cost of state government when they come, since we don't have taxes, uh, since they don't contribute to the cost of state government when they come, they contribute to the cost of local government to the extent local governments have property taxes or sales taxes, but they don't contribute to the cost of state government. Um, that, that it's nice to have them when they, when they come, but they don't contribute to the cost of state government. And in fact, they increase the burden. They increase the cost of state government because they increase the need for highways. They increase the need for public services to support that supports the population. Um, and, and, and the result is this disconnect between the benefit of having increased population and the, the cost, uh, the unreimbursed cost of that increased population. Uh, on uh, on state government, and I thought that was—I I mean, it was a—it was a well-written letter by Gunner, very short, just you know, brings a just puts the Alaska disconnect back in front. But it reminded me that there's there isn't just one Alaska disconnect; there are several Alaska disconnects. Uh, another example is when people say, "Well, my piece of legislation, or my proposed infrastructure project, or my." Uh, proposed activity is going to bring a bunch of jobs to Alaska. But those jobs don't produce revenue back to the state. They, they, they will produce employment. They'll produce, you know, an improvement in the quality of life for the families that are employed, but they don't produce revenue back to the state. So what Hammond, what, what Hammond, Hammond's term for this was selective dividends. What's going on in that situation is that the state is spending money, giving a dividend, if you will, and and in the in the current era where where the where the marginal source of revenue is PFD cuts, we truly are giving dividends, selective dividends, to individuals um, uh, for uh, to to help support their jobs. An example of that uh, that that you know my friends don't like me pointing out, but when when we have like the Hillcorp. Uh, discount on oil taxes when Hillcorp doesn't pay their full share of oil taxes. They don't oil taxes. They don't pay what what B, what BP paid because Hillcorp's got a slightly different uh, corporate structure. When we have that sort of of discount or that sort of subsidy or that sort of of, of reduction in oil taxes, people say, "Well, it's because jobs." You know, Hillcorp Hillcorp employs people and they get jobs, but those those jobs don't contribute back to the state in terms of revenue like they do in other states. I mean, we don't even, in other states, it's indirect in terms of sales. In some states, it's indirect in terms of sales taxes. In other states, it's direct in terms of income taxes. But we don't have any of that here. So so we have, we have the disconnect between, yes, we want jobs. Yes, we want people employed. Yes, we want the private sector to grow through jobs. Um, but we don't, the state, the state, it increases the state's burden by having additional jobs particularly when the state has to pay for those jobs, either in terms of a state state spending or in terms of reduced revenue, as we have with the oil companies, um, uh, we, we, we have, we, we're, we're subsidizing those jobs. They're, those jobs are getting the benefit um, of selective dividends. There's another disconnect that, you know, and, and as I say, what Gunner's letter triggered was this, was this recollection that we have all these disconnects. There's a, another disconnect, when, uh, particularly when we use PFD cuts to fund to fund government. As Matt Berman from ICER has pointed out repeatedly, PFD cuts increase poverty. They because they are hugely regressive and take, you know, a huge chunk of income from lower middle and lower income Alaska families, they increase poverty. They move people toward in from 
from being marginally above the poverty level or, or perhaps more than marginally, given the size of the PFD cuts we have, more than marginally above the, uh, above the poverty level and move them, move them below the poverty level when we take that income away from them. Well, what does that do? What that does is increase state government costs because we have a number of programs that trigger off then right. when people move below the poverty level. So, so we've got, we're, we're taking, we're, we're cutting PFDs. We're, 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 we're taking that income out of lower middle and, and lower income Alaska families. They're increasing, increasing the burden on the state, increasing state government costs. And then what's the answer to that? Well, we cut PFD, PFDs more and we put more people into poverty. It's this, it's this death spiral, right? Uh, it's, it's the disconnect of the death spiral that we have. So what we've done in Alaska by saying, you know, we're a no tax state, we have taxes, PFD cuts are taxes. Matt Berman's told us that time and time again. Uh, but, uh, but, but we say we're a no tax state. But what that's really doing is, is, is creating a situation in which, as Governor Hammond said, we have selective dividends. We have a selective dividend for, for all the people, for the people who move up here for climate reasons. Uh, climate change refugees. We have selective dividends in that we, in that we support them uh, with state government services, just like we support the other uh, people, but we don't make them pay for it. Who we make pay for it is middle and lower income Alaska families through PFD cuts. We have selective dividends when we, when we pass legislation or when we expand the state uh, payroll uh, because, you know, jobs, we got to have jobs. Well, those jobs aren't paying for aren't paying for state government. They aren't contributing toward the cost of state government. So that money's being taken out of the PFD now in the, in the current era. Uh, and they're getting, those people are getting selective dividends. I mean, the oil companies are getting selective dividends from middle and lower income Alaska families in terms of PFD cuts. And, and the consequence of that is yet another disconnect, which is that we're pushing more people into poverty, increasing the cost of state government as a result of pushing people below the poverty level, and then taking more money out of the PFD and pushing more people uh, uh, right. below the poverty level. So it's well, it's th this state has one disconnect after another, and I think right. it's great that that Gunner hire, uh, uh, highlighted one of them. Well, we and we haven't we you know especially when when uh, when uh, Rob Myers was so good at kind of describing that disconnect of the between the public and the private economy, uh, he kind of dumbed it down for us. I mean, again, Gunner. Uh, and, uh, well, Scott Goldsmith was talking about this years ago, this disconnect, and, and I'm just now making that connection. I find it ironic that the article talks specifically and, and truthfully about the mechanism of how we are disconnected. But I also noticed that it doesn't talk about the stealth tax on Alaskans, where all the money goes straight to the government instead of to the people uh, to begin with, which is really the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem here is, is that government has remained unchecked because all that money is going straight to the government first thing. I mean, they're, it's not even passing through the people's hands. And uh, and I understand it's kind of outside the scope of that article, but that's the thing we need to remember is, first and foremost, we have a stealth tax in the form of all royalties are going directly to the state. Then we have the second tax of them taking the PFD on top of that. And it just exacerbates that disconnect. It's a, it's it's frustrating, but there's the key to our problem right there. It, well, it is, uh, it is. And, and, and the diversion of that, um, it, you, you correctly call it a stealth tax. It, the diversion of that to government, the diversion of revenues that are intended for Alaska citizens to government is, is, is the beginning of the problem. But then government spending that money 
uh, without getting reimbursed for for the the expenditures, without without those people who are benefiting from it, the selective dividendees, right? Without those people who are benefiting from it, contributing back to the cost of government, um, is the is the second half of the problem. It's a, it's it's it, it, it the, the the point here is there are a number of disconnects created in the Alaska economy by the way we've set up fiscal policy, and they have the perverse they have the perverse effect. Of of growing the growing the population without the population having to pay for the costs of 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 the of of the burden that they're creating on state government as a result of the growth, and we have the perverse effect of taking more and more from the currently we have the perverse effect of taking more from more from the PFD, pushing more and more people in poverty, creating more and more costs for government. Right. Just you know, which is that self-licking, like you said, it's that self-licking ice cream cone of creating dependency, feeding dependency, creating more dependency, then feeding that dependency, et cetera, et cetera, which we've talked about in the past. Um, all right. Well, that's number one. It's a good article. I've linked it up in the chat room. Let's go on to number two. Give me a tease before we go to break. Uh, number two is an emerging problem on the K through 12 side. It's not the K through 12 spending issue that we've talked about. Uh, ad nauseum on the show, uh, and I've talked about in in, in various uh, various forums. Um, it is it is a new K through twelve problem that, frankly, I think is going to come back over and bite us uh, on the uh, on the on the on the current K through twelve problem we have, which is people pushing for increased K through twelve spending. The steps that the administration the administration is taking, they began it with the Juno ISD, and now they're expanding it to other uh, uh, school districts in the state. The steps the administration is taking, I think, is going to put more pressure on increasing, uh, ha- have the effect of putting more pressure on increasing K through 12 spending from the state. Uh, it's another one of those, one another another one of those death spirals right. uh, that uh, that we're that we're, get, that we're getting well, into. And this is the first time I've heard about this. I had not uh, did not know the state was doing this. So we're going to get the full rundown from you here in just a moment. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is our guest. We continue with the weekly top three. Number two. A full change to K-12, where the state's coming in and telling districts, no, you can't spend money outside of what we give you. And there's a reason for that. Um, this is the problem. with. I'll just say right now, the whole problem with this is government dependency. When you're depending on other monies, you can't even spend your own. That's a problem. Back with more of The Michael Duke Show. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Brad Keithley, our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, uh, the weekly top three. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate Gunner's article, but I, again, the one thing that people keep forgetting, I mean, I, I, every, anytime anybody's hit me with that, well, we don't pay taxes in Alaska. I'll say, let me break this down for you old school. And then we'll go back to the whole money going directly to the government and that disconnect and everything else. And they're like, well, and, but that's the problem. We are creating a dependency state that in turn creates more of a dependency state. And that is a death spiral in the long run. I mean, because it's just, it's unsustainable. It's the definition of unsustainable. It is, it is uh, it, in, in, in various, in various forms, but we don't, I mean, Rob's made the point different ways 
um, uh, Gunner makes the, the, the point. Matt Berman's made the Matt Berman from ICERS made the point. Uh, we don't tie people to government in this state. Uh, people don't feel a responsibility towards, you know, keeping government under control because government provides to, to you know, the top 20%, certainly government provides all the services that they ever want. They provide the roads, they provide infrastructure, they provide, you know, childcare now, they provide K through 12, but it doesn't cost the top 20%. It doesn't cost uh, uh, the decision makers and, and, and the influence, influence leaders and the, and the, the donor class doesn't cost them anything. So there's no tie. There's no connection between government and, and, and that class in particular, uh, that, uh, that causes them to push back on government spending. They just want more and more and more of it. And, and that's, that disconnect is, is sort of at the, at the core I think of of what has um, what has happened uh, to, uh, uh, to to state spending. I mean, state spending's gone out of control. It's gone out of control because because we haven't had that class in particular, the donor class, pushing back uh, on spending levels. Right. Um, well, and and of course, what's funny is that it seems like there's only a few of us that can see the forest through the trees on this thing. You and I have been talking about this for years. People like Scott Goldsmith, Gunnar Knapp, they've been, you know, arguing about this. I mean, they came up originally with that whole multiple lever thing and that the worst case scenario, the worst thing you could do had the most adverse impact was pulling on the PFD. And yet they continue to I mean, again, the legislature just continues to it's funny how they'll. They'll hold these guys, you know, the university and ICER, oh, they hold them up as this is the bastion of what we do. And then those guys say, please don't spend more than $3.9 because otherwise it's unsustainable. And they all go, oh, yes. And then <laughs> they immediately blow past it, right? I mean, it, this is what, 2014? Uh, when we, you and I first started talking about some of this stuff in 2014, they were like, here's the thing. You can't go over $3.9 If you do, then the model says it's bad in the long run. And then they're like, yes, okay. And then the next year, okay, now you can't go over $4.1 billion. And they're like, yes. And then they just threw up their hands and stopped giving the recommendations because obviously nobody's paying attention to it. Yeah, exactly right, Michael. It, and it's, you're, 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 you're spot on in terms of, uh, you know, the legislature, people in the legislature say, oh, listen to ICER. ICER knows what they're doing. ICER's our economist. ICER really has a good handle on the, uh, handle on the economy. And then ICER says, don't spend. <laughs> or, or if you're gonna spend, at least tax, at least make a connection between the people and the spending, so that so that people are pushing back on spending, and the legislature goes, ah, we're not going to listen to them anymore. Let's find somebody right. else to yeah, bring in here, yeah, let's and, bring and talk about this stuff because that doesn't that doesn't mesh with our philosophy of spend, 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 uh, uh, which is <clears throat> again, you know, totally, uh, totally problematic at this point, and. Uh, I, you know, I just, I just don't know. I don't know how to get the point across anymore. I mean, we just keep hammering at it and they just keep going, but it's, there's not a lot we can do at this point. No, until, until the donor class, until the top 20%, which includes almost all the legislature, by the right. way, until those people feel part of the burden um, uh, of of spending until they feel part of the cost of spending until they have to be connected to spending until there's a connection between them uh, and spending that we it won't stop 
Right. Because it's just to them, it's just take more and more and more. And and to them, it's like it's free money. Right. I mean, well, and this it, is a uniquely Alaska problem. Right. I mean, this is we're the only is. this is the only state in the nation that does it this way. We This is a completely unique Alaska problem. And it's going to it's going to kill us in the long run. I mean, not fit, literally, but fiscally, it's going to kill us in the long run. Yeah, it's it when 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 uh, 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 various groups bring up, you know, Texas experts or D.C. experts or experts from from elsewhere to talk about Alaska fiscal issues. I just sort of chuckle because no one understands the PFD. No one understands. No one gets the impact of the PFD and what PFD cuts do. Right. ICER does. Right. But you bring up people from other states and they don't. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, socialism has its downsides, says Donna. Hey, it's true. I didn't write the Constitution. We just have to live under it, unfortunately. Uh, we're continuing now. Number two of the weekly top three is up next. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Let's get this gun. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Yep. Continuing now, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the weekly top three. Number two, a whole new change to K-12 that I didn't even know was out there or coming, and um, it could have serious ramifications. Brad, give us the background here before you jump into it. A good story uh, on this issue is in the Juno Empire, in this week's Juno Empire. It says, state, the head, headline is, State Broadens Challenge of Outside the Cap Funding to All School Districts in Alaska. And this is an issue that started between the state and Juno, but's now spread to uh, the remainder of the state. The, the, the core of the issue is this. Juno spends a lot of money, a lot of local money, in support of their state, in support of the their K through 12 uh, schools, they don't spend it directly in the school. the 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 money that goes into the schools support direct uh, state uh, support K through 12 directly is capped by state regulation, but they spend it on things like transportation, like sports activities, like other non core education. Uh, activities, and they've done that for a long time, and other school districts have done that for a long time. The state is starting to clamp down on that um, uh, heavily and and saying that those things that you've been spending on, the money you've been spending on outside of core, core K through 12 has to be included uh, inside your cap. And if you're if you're already spending up to your cap, in, in supporting K through 12 education, local funds in support of K through 12 education, core education, you can't spend any more uh, on, on these ancillary things. Uh, uh, what, they, what the local districts have thought is outside the cap, what the state's now saying is in, inside the cap. And in the middle of this article, here's the, they explain the issue. According to Lori Weed, the Department of Education School Finance Man, uh, Manager, the letter to Juno was sent because the state in recent years and my thing just blips. So hang on a second. Because the state in recent years has failed federal disparity tests due to districts allocating, quote, special revenue funds, unquote, for purposes like pupil transportation. The disparity test is a little known ruling involving areas affected by federal impact aid, 
which for Alaskans means proving there is less than a 25% funding difference between the highest and the low and the lowest funded districts. Yep. Thank you. So what's going on is the state is saying, look, the feds are including this stuff outside that 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 you have been saying is outside the cap. The state, the feds have been including that in their calculation of whether there's a 25% disparity between the best funded uh, 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 district in the state and the lowest funded district in the state. And we've been, the state has been violating that, that, that disparity test uh, as a result of what you've been spending outside the cap. And then as a result of violating the disparity test, the federal impact aid, which is important for some Bush districts, uh, uh, is, is at risk. Uh, and the federal government is at risk of withdrawing uh, that aid uh, in support of the Bush districts, uh, r- districts that have uh, uh, significant uh, federal activity in them. So you uh, or significant federal presence, ownership, uh, other things in them. So so the way the state is responding to that is saying we're going to have to clamp down uh, on that spending that that you have said you the local districts have said is outside the cap. Bring it back inside the cap. Well, the problem with that then is that's effectively a cut to the to the to the districts that have been doing that to tell to to say to Juno you can no longer do that you can no longer have this local aid that goes to these to these ancillary activities well Juno's going to have to Juno's is saying well we're going to have to fund those ancillary activities in some fashion um, and so we're going to have to cut spending elsewhere in order to in order to fund those uh, 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 activities uh, uh, through uh, through other sources of revenue the net effect of that is to create cuts or to create uh, deficits in in these school districts that have been funding outside the cap and it's going to push them to increase state support for k through 12 right uh, to to make to make up the difference so we have a whole new um impetus building uh behind increasing k through state support for k through 12 spending that's coming from this state action to clamp down uh, on spending uh, on spending outside what the district local districts have said is outside the cap. I'm not sure where this is going to end up, but we're going to see it show up in the next legislature in terms of districts like Juno representatives from districts like Juno say we need to increase state spending because now you're not you're not allowing us to use our local funds to support these things. You're saying it has to come from from state spending. So, okay, increase state spending to support those activities. Right. Well, and this is what my problem is with this. I mean, first and foremost, again, you're creating more dependency on the state uh, to, you know, and putting more pressure on that. Uh, secondly, what really irritates me is basically you've got the state coming in and telling local communities who have made a decision in their communities to fund education more than what the state mandate is. And now they're saying, no, you can't spend more of your own money on that because it's wrong. This is the problem, again, because we become dependent on the federal impact aid and other things. It That dependency now creates its own barriers and hurdles on the edges and fences us into an untenable position. And that, I mean, it's it. For multiple reasons, this whole thing is just irritating to me. Donna says, how about raising the cap? How about we just raise the cap and then you can pay for your own stuff in your own communities outside of that? Well, you could you could do that. The problem is the 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 you're you're dragged down by the lowest uh, uh, district. So you could raise the cap, but the lowest district might not uh, contribute uh, up to its cap. And as long as you have that disparity between 
the high end of federal uh, the, the 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 high end of what's being contributed and the low end if that's greater than 25% then you've got federal impact aid uh, at risk so just increasing the cap doesn't solve the problem that the states identified with federal impact aid this is again the problem with government trying to pick winners and losers and saying everybody should be equally miserable i guess at this point because if a community wants to contribute then they should be able to if they don't then you get what you pay for i mean right that's kind of that's that's real life it's not government picking winners and you can't go 25 percent over the lowest because reasons and they're like but wait we could i mean that it's 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 uh anyway it's it's crazy go ahead i'm sorry well no it's it's being it's being driven i mean at least the administration would say right now this is being driven by uh, uh, by the federal impact aid rule, uh, impact aid rule, and putting at risk the federal impact aid, which is not an immaterial amount of of of, of support for uh, the localities uh, uh, throughout the state. It's um, I don't know what happened in my background. Um, it's uh, 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 it, it's critical that. Uh, to the to the to the to the to the state, what the state's saying, it's critical that we continue to get federal impact aid. So we've got to be driven by this federal federal rule. And so you, Juno, have got to have got to you know stop spending outside the cap in order to uh, in order to uh, 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 keep us within the federal the federal right. impact uh, aid uh, rules to keep those monies there. All right, well let's move on to number three. We got about three minutes here, Brad. So let's move on to number three real quick, and we'll get a we'll get a take on it here. Hot take. So number three is uh, some issues that have come up with um, uh, 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 spending on the Cooper uh, Cooper Landing uh, bypass. Uh, uh, Alaska Public Media has got a story on it uh, that says uh, with well with work well underway, Cooper Landing bypass costs more than double. Uh, the Peninsula Clarion has an article that says uh, bypass projects uh, costs jump. State looks for more funding, and they're talking about the costs of the of the uh, uh, Cooper Landing uh, by. Well, they're talking about the cost of the Cooper Landing bypass in this particular case, uh, jumping as a result of inflation and things that they're that they're not they're not abandoning the project. They're 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 finding different ways to time out the project to accommodate it. This is this is a problem. The, the impact of inflation on construction costs is a problem that's not only going to show up in Cooper Landing. It's going to show up throughout all sorts of uh, various uh, transportation projects that we have in the state, various infrastructure projects in the state, and it's going to it, it's going to uh, uh, become another pressure point in the legislature as they go through the budget cycle about how much to allocate uh, to the capital budget. There's going to be a lot of pressure to say, well, we've got all these projects we need to do, so we need to increase uh, the cost of these. Uh, we need to increase the the, the appropriation of these projects. Uh, in order to account for inflation. And ironically enough, the inflation is being driven in part, at least, by the federal government's, I mean, one of the solutions they've talked about to the to the Cooper Landing is, well, we'll just go get more federal aid. There's a big federal aid package out there and we'll get, get more get more federal aid to help uh, help finance the cost. Well, the problem is, the inf part of the problem is the inflation's being ca caused by all this federal money that's suddenly going into infrastructure and suddenly going into transportation projects, increasing demand for materials and increasing the price of, the, of those materials, increasing demand for skilled workers and increasing the, the labor costs associated uh, with these projects. So now 
we've got we've got another sort of never-ending cycle. We've got increased spending, uh, increased the flood of increased money coming out of the federal government, which is increasing inflation costs for for this particular segment of uh, of, of the budget. And now we're going to have to increase the state share of the budget to accommodate those increased spend that increased spending and, or increased inflation. And it's just going to it's just going to keep spiraling on again. Dependency begets dependency begets dependency. This is what happens when we are dependent on all that money. Well, now we got to dance to somebody else's tune. And that's the problem that we're seeing in all of these aspects. Brad Keithley, Alaska's for sustainable budgets. Thank you, my friend. It's good to talk with you. Appreciate you coming on board. Michael, uh, as always, thanks for having me. Crazy stuff, folks, when you can't even spend your own money because they say no, huh? Back with more Hour 2 Dead Ahead, The Michael Duke Show. I mean, that's really the heart of the problem. If you want the federal lucre, you got to do what Uncle Sugar says. And if a community, for right or for wrong... I mean, I could agree whether or not we should all vote to have higher levels of spending outside the cap, quote unquote. Um, but if for right or for wrong, if a community decides that that's what they want to do, that should be their right. If they want the if they want all the bells and whistles and the gold plated toilets in their in their kids schools and they all decide that's they, they should be able to, and then the, the, the state to come in and say, no, you can't because somebody else in the state is not getting the same kind of education. It is it's. Oh, it's maddening. It's absolutely maddening. Uh, Texas went through this uh, a few decades ago. Uh, it was a con- it was constitutionally driven. Uh, the Supreme Court of Texas interpreted the Constitution as saying that funding for school districts throughout the state had to be relatively equal with it within a certain band, and it led to all sorts of of, of things. School districts in Texas are, are funded largely by property taxes, local property taxes. And so some districts, the wealthy districts had to give, had to, had to share a portion of their property taxes with the, with the lower income districts in order to equalize uh, revenue uh, uh, per, per, per pupil revenue uh, uh, throughout the state. We haven't gotten to that point yet, uh, but, but this federal rule is, is essentially doing the same thing. It's saying that you have to keep that spending within a band if you want to continue to get the the, the federal revenue. And it's not, you know, the administra- the Dunleavy administration would probably say, if they're pressed on this issue, they will probably say, it's not us. It's the federal, it's the federal government that's imposing this rule on us. To get federal aid, we have to have, we have to be within this band. And the it's not us that's interpreting the, this this extra spending as being inside the cap. It's the federal government interpreting this extra spending as being inside the cap for purposes of applying the federal rule of being within this 25% ban. So they'll try to, they'll, they're going to try to lay it off. I would bet they're going to try to lay it off on the federal government and the federal government's rules. But the effect is, the effect is, the effect is to put pressure on the local districts, uh, on, the, on the wealthy local districts, who have been spending outside the cap for these ancillary services uh, to put pressure on them to say, well, you're not going to let me spend, you're not going to let me raise it this way. Then you're going to have to, you, the state are going to have to raise more uh, or you're going to have to raise K through 12 spending in order to keep our schools at the level that, that we want them at. And we're going to drag the lower, the, the districts that, that, that aren't contributing, having that much local contribution we're going to drag them along with us because we're going to increase state spending overall per per pupil. 
which again is just the dependency begets more dependency begets more and and the 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 comment in the article about um uh the comment in the article about uh you know this is dunleavy creating a manufactured educational crisis and yeah i mean but this you know in the long run they may cry about it now but overall what you're saying is essentially this may benefit all the school districts anyway because they may get more money from the state in the long run because the, because it's being forced in that way. So maybe it's a crazy like a fox thing where Dunleavy's doing, doing this in, this end run around it to try and force the education increase in schools. I I don't even know at this point. Well, they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be very simplistic about it and say, look, it's the federal rule to get federal impact aid aid which is a material part of our revenue base. And I, and frankly, I'm going to have to go dig out exactly what that number is. Cause you know, one way to avoid this is just say, okay, we'll do away with federal impact aid. We won't depend on it. But, but right now federal impact aid, most people say is, is a material part of the revenue base to maintain that federal impact aid. We're going to have to impose this rule uh, on the schools. And, and I think it's probably the schools that are saying, okay, good. You know, we can use this to leverage up more statewide K through 12 spending. Uh, by uh, by saying, well, you know, Dunleavy administration is forcing us to, to you know, we, we can't fund it locally anymore. So the Dunleavy administration is essentially saying we have to fund it statewide. All we can do is, is, uh, is, is, is you know, live by the statewide funding. So we're going to have to increase statewide funding. And the lower, the lower school districts are saying, wow, that's good. Yeah, because we're going to get, we're going to get drug along with everybody else. We're going to get the benefit of that increased state spending also. I don't, it, it maybe maybe it's Dunleavy maybe it's the administration sort of you know being Machiavellian about how they're doing things. I I don't think so. I think it's all being driven by the federal impact aid and 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 doing things that are being driven by what they're being told by the federal government are is required in order to maintain the federal impact aid. Well, I wish we could. Uh... <laughs> If Brad was only king for a day, if I gave you the magic scepter, Brad, you could fix all this. But it's uh, <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Uh, I mean, I'm yeah, I, <clears throat> go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I don't, I don't know what the fix to this is. I mean, it, it, it's it's I, what I'm what I'm. It's an issue I haven't dived in, de- uh, uh, done a deep dive into yet. But it's an issue that you can just see where this is going. You can see the school district saying, "If you're not going to let me fund." These, this, this myself, if you're not going to let me spend this additional money myself, you're going to have to provide the additional money because these are things we need. This is what we've decided we need. We were willing to fund it. You're telling us we can't fund it by ourselves. So these are things we need. You're going to have to provide the additional, the additional money to do it. You can just see where this is going. I mean, Juno's already started saying that. Yeah. And it's social, and, and it's, it's social justice. It's also, everybody's got to be equal. Now you could all be equally miserable, but at least you're equal. That's the important part. As long as you're equally miserable, you are in fact equal. Even if you want to pay for more, even if you want to do something more for your community, you can't do it. It's, it's maddening. Absolutely maddening. Um, all right. Well, Brad Keithley, thank you so much, my friend. It's good to talk with you. Appreciate you coming on board and joining us today. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. It's uh, good to good to see you. Thank you for uh, doing it. And sorry about all your tech issues. It it, <laughs> it will get better. It gets better, it, my friend. It will get better. I, I, I'll I'll consult with my producer to see if he can he, if he can get it done better next. All time. right. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, folks. Uh, we're out of time. 
Uh, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio, hour two, dead ahead. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only stream, the uh, podcasts. Uh, you'll find links to social media sites where we simulcast the radio show on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And, of course, all of you out there on regular old terrestrial radio, where it's still free every day. Uh, live around the state of Alaska on your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to it. It is the Michael Duke Show, and we are into hour two of the big radio broadcast. We just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, uh, part of the uh, whole 6 o'clock club gig there. If, uh, if you want to be an official member of the 6 o'clock club, all you have to do is, well, get up before 7. That's pretty much it. That's it's the requirements are pretty simple. You get up before seven and start listening to the show. You're an official member of the six o'clock club. And you would have heard all the discussions with Brad Keithley here uh, about uh, what's going on uh, around the state. Um, I want to talk about two things. Let's just finish up with what Brad was talking about. The, the To me, the most heinous part of the uh, the most heinous part of the top three this week was number two, this K through 12 spending, this muddling of K through 12 that just blows my mind. Um, this idea that the state is going to tell a local district that uh, here's all the money that we give you, right, to run your schools and do everything else, but we're going to set a cap that you can't spend beyond outside of that. Now, you, you know... Look, if you've listened to the program for longer than five minutes, you know that I'm not a huge fan of overfunding of education or doing, you know, the, the public education that I think is kind of out of control to begin with. But I also respect the fact that some community may decide that they want to spend more money in their community on their schools than what the state has prescribed. Right. The state gives them some money and they're like, well, that's great. And we'll use all that. But we also want to fund a sports program, or we want to fund, you know, all of our uh, pupil transportation out beyond that. We, you know, we want to do some extra things in our districts. And I would say that that should be their right as a community to decide and come together. Now, if I voted against it and I didn't like it, I could move. I mean, that's kind of, 
I'm a <clears throat> I'm a huge fan of doing something like that. Like if it's if it's onerous enough that I don't care about it, I'll move to someplace else that doesn't do that. But the problem here is, is that you've got the state coming down and basically saying no soup for you. Right. You can't do that. You can't do it outside the cap. Now, the reasoning behind it is obviously has to do with the federal impact aid. So because Uncle Sugar is giving us some free money, quote unquote, uh, free money. Um, they're saying, well, you can't do this. We're trying to pick winners and losers. We're trying to say that one, just because you can afford to do it because somebody someplace else can't afford to do it, that makes it unfair and unequitable. And this is all again about that kind of government enforced equality. Of course, the thing we know about from history, the thing we know about government enforced equality is that everyone may be equal. They're probably just equally miserable is the problem. Right. If one community says we want to spend an extra million bucks on X, well, you can't because you're taking money from Uncle Sugar over here. And even if you are not taking money directly because the state is taking federal money, the state says, no, you can't do that. And again, because you're dependent on the state spending. On top of it, now you are beholding to them. The state is taking money from the feds and federal impact aid. They're beholding to them. It is this whole chain of dependency that basically says, well, if you don't do what we say, we're going to take it all away from you. In which case, my question then becomes, why did we just not do it all on our own to begin with? Right? Why? It is, again, I've used the word maddening now three times this morning, but it is maddening to think that some community has decided that they want to make, they want to better their infrastructure, their schools, whatever it is that they want to better. And the state would swagger in and say, no, you can't do that because if you do, if you do that, we won't get our bite from Uncle Sugar and we shouldn't do that. Ah, Wow. Wow. Is all I could say. And you'd be like, but those poor people down in where, hey, if they wanted to benefit from that, they could move to those communities that are then, well, they shouldn't have to move. Well, then you get what you pay for. Right? You get what you pay for. And if you pay for nothing, then you get what you pay for. Again, Historically, anytime government picks out winners and losers, you all become losers in those equations because you'll all be equal then. You're just equally losing. This is the first time I had heard about this. And when Brad sent me this article yesterday and we were talking about it, I was like, ah, I just couldn't even wrap my brain around the idea and the concept that somehow they'd come in and say, no, you can't do better than anybody else. We are rewarding, and in fact, not even rewarding, we are enforcing mediocrity on people. Now, I'm supposing there could be an argument about whether or not adding more money to some of these things actually makes it better. It may just make it more, I don't know, more mediocre. But the idea that any community would want to add to their to their process, to their infrastructure, to their funding, and that the state would come in and say, you can't do better than that because... Somebody else won't do as good as you, and so you need to stop, because otherwise we also won't get our money from Uncle Sam. Does does that make any sense to you? I mean, I, maybe some of you are like, well, sure, because we don't want that, you know, before the thing. 
again, it does nothing but lead to mediocrity. Because then everybody will be at the same level of meh instead of being able to better themselves. I just, I, I don't know. I just don't know why we would stand for that. I don't know why, as a community, you would want to stand for that. If I got a letter like this that said, you can't improve your house because none of your neighbors can improve your house, I'd be like, what? I'd be like, what? You can't, you know, you can't replant your lawn or pave your driveway because nobody else can do it and you're making us all look bad. Or Johnny down the street feels bad because he can't have as nice a driveway as you have. I mean, you know, that's the same kind of, it's the same kind of ideal. It's just infuriating. Every time government gets involved, it just seems to create down the road. Maybe at first it works out well, but always down the road in the long run, it seems to just be a quagmire. In this case, a quagmire of mediocrity. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've been wrong before. I'll, you know, be wrong. If, you know. Cindy says, God forbid we should raise our kids to achieve uh, towards greatness. I'm not a mediocrity parent, she says. I mean, again, folks, if you want, this is reason number 263 why I homeschooled all my kids. Because... I'm just not going to put them through that. I will do the best for them that I can without anybody telling me that I can't do something. I can't buy that. I can't do, or that I have to do something because I'm, I'm the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. That's kind of my, my wife laughs. We were talking about going through, we were talking about flying yesterday. One of my kids flew out of state and, uh, and uh, we were talking about flying and everything else. And she goes, you're interesting to travel with. I said, what do you mean? She goes, you get so angry at the TSA and all the checkpoints and everything else. And I'm like, because I'm just, it's invasive and I don't like it. And it's, and I hate authority. She's like, yes, I know. But you've never had a problem. She goes, I'm the one that gets searched. You don't. And I'm like, and I'm mad about that too. <sighs> I mean, I have an anti-authoritarian streak that's about a mile wide, so don't don't uh, don't take it too uh, don't take it too seriously here. Um, what was the uh, other st uh, story that I wanted to? Where is it? Um, I may have closed the window. Here we go. Nope, it's right here. So <clears throat> before we get to Chris' story, whose topic today? I should tell you our topic because he texted me the topic. Today's topic from Chris' story is how to get over the hill. How to, I'm already over the hill because I saw I'm over 50. So, I mean, I'm over the hill, right? But he's going to tell us how to get over the hill. Anyway, this is another example. Can I do it quickly? I'll do it quickly. Uh, according to the Alaska Department of Natural Resources, a late last month, which would have been yesterday, in the last few days, they've issued a new general permission that allows vehicles up to 80 inches wide and up to 2,500 pounds to be used on land managed by the DNR, Division of Mining, Land, and Water. Uh, this move is intended to accommodate the growth of side-by-side off-road vehicles because Alaskans 
that's what we use a lot of places. And now you can use it on most state land without a specialty permit. Old restrictions, which were based on the size of a 6x6 Argo, because that's what they had. That was the highest tech back in the day when they made the regs, allowed vehicles up to 1,500 pounds, uh, according to DNR. Those decade-old limits became obsolete as off-road vehicle manufacturers updated their designs over the years. Uh, the current model of side-by-side -side varies on weight depending on upgrades, yada, 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 between 1,000 and 2,000 pounds. Now it goes up to 2,500. Anyone under the old system, someone wanting to use a larger off-road vehicle, had to apply for a special land-use permit, which typically takes 30 days to get because it includes a public comment period as well as official agency review. And so what ended up happening? Well, the most American of things ended up happening, civil disobedience. Most owners of those large vehicles never requested the needed permit, the agency concluded, and the requirement was impossible to enforce. So, again, government being as useless as government normally is, well, we just don't. So now we're going to make rules that comply with what people are already doing anyway, which just goes to show you the civil disobedience has its I mean, it had, and maybe it was just ignorance on the part of people, or maybe it was people just like, bah, I'll pay the fine if they catch me or find me. But they, they admitted it's not even enforceable. So they rewrote all these rules. And now these rules are going to apply for, I don't know how many, uh, while they, while they pursue permanent regulation change sometime in the future. So they're going to, so they're going to basically put a new rule in that covers what people are already doing, which just shows goes to show you why did we need that regulation in the first place? Is it really such a problem? Why do we need that regulation in the first place? If it, I mean, if it's really such a problem and people were ignoring it anyway and they couldn't enforce it, why? How many more laws are on the books that are just like that, that have absolutely no way to enforce, that are ridiculous, that don't even apply the way that they used to apply? How many rules and laws are on the books, right? I'm on a serious anti-authoritarian streak this morning. But this is it. This is, again, just another prime example of why it's ridiculous to have some of these rules and regulations. Uh, it... And I know some of you out there are probably screaming at the TV or the radio or whatever, just go like, just but again, more proof positive that through people were able to do more things through civil disobedience and just not, they had to change the law to accommodate all the people who were saying no. <laughs> I, I love that. I just, I just love that. All right. Um, we're back. In just a moment, Chris Story is going to be our guest. How to get over the hill is going to be his topic. He continues with us in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. What is that? Common sense, regularly heard on American radio. Okay, you will all be equal, equally poor, and you will like it equally. <laughs> Ever. Oh, man. Let's see. Chris says he needs a driveway that just melts snow in the winter. You can't have one because your neighbors can't have one. 
So you're all slipping and sliding. Rick says he's glad. Uh, he says I'm. He, he said I'm glad I'm not the only one that I think he was talking about the TSA being irritated going through T. I just, it just irritates me. Oh, I get so agitated thinking about it. Barbara says the reason I'm agitated is because I remember flying in a different era. I yeah. I mean, some of that is just grumpy old man syndrome, right? Damn kids! I used to be able to walk on anything. I could have a big cigar and just walk on the plane. It, I mean, you're right. Part of it is that. But part of it is just, again, that's part of the reason is because I remember the growth of government is what really irritates me. Donna says uh, it's she hates the TSA as well. And Brian says my anti-authoritarian streak is one of my most endearing qualities. So there you go. Um, did you see that Sherp was bought by Argo? I did not see that. If you haven't seen the Sherp, it's a big Serbian machine that is just it's amazing. Uh, but they bu- Argo bought it. That's an excellent. Uh, that's an excellent thing. Um, um, Kathleen says some parents do an excellent job homeschooling. Many do not. Children come back to the public school system significantly behind. If parents choose to homeschool, they need to be held accountable. Kids need this protection. Well, I would argue, Kathleen, that kids need protection from a lot of things that parents do. It doesn't always happen. Um, but I don't want the government interfering in my education of my children, whether they think I did a good job or a bad job. Who's the arbiter of that? That's my question. I think most parents who take the time to homeschool, they did it because they care more about their children's education than the average parent. They decided to do that. And I think you'll find that most kids that are homeschooled, in fact, the vast majority of them come back uh, statistically higher than your average school kid. I mean, I think so. That's that's how it goes. Um, all right. Let me um, let me get Mr. Let me get you, Mr. Mr. Story on the phone line right now. Let's see if we can get him uh, going on here. And there we go. It's working. Good morning, Mr. Dukes. Hello, <clears throat> Mr. Story. What's happening, my friend? What's uh, what's going on with you? All good in the hood. What another gorgeous day here on top of the world. How about uh, where you are? You know, it's a little cloudy. It's a little misty, but it's warm. So I guess there's that. It's not like rainy and cold. But uh, so you saying it's wow. su- it's sunny down in my hometown? Is that what you're saying? Oh, God. blue skies and just a ribbon of pink and yellow over the mountains from this gorgeous sunrise. Now I'm just bragging, Michael. So it's a gorgeous day here on top of the world. Well, I mean, you're, you you're allowed, you're allowed to brag, my friend. That's what, uh, that's what it's all about for sure. That's what the chamber of commerce pays me for. <laughs> exactly. They wait, they, they pay, don't pay, they me. pay you. I, cause I was looking for some of that sweet, sweet lucre. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was trying, how do know, how do I get in on that gig? Uh, promote Homer and get paid. Um, all right. Uh, so I don't know Have you been listening to any of our discussions this morning. I mean, you, you, I, I go ahead. Just tuned in moments ago, and there's some discussion. Are we talking about um, communism being all things equal? Well, we were, yeah, we're talking about how when government picks winners and losers, and you may have seen this ah. in your industry, when government picks winners and losers, you they they tr- they're trying to enforce government, you know, government enforced equality. The problem is was is when it's government enforced equality instead of the opportunity based equality, the market based equality. What happens is everybody ends up being equally miserable. 
that's kind of the whole thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So, so true. That's kind of where we, uh, that's where we get. Um, all right. Chris Story, our guest, we're going to jump into this with him and uh, dive in. Uh, how to get over the hill. He's going to give us the life coaching lesson that's up next. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. And uh, let's, uh, let's, let's get into it. Let's jump in. Both feet. Do it right now. Here we go. Okay, uh, Chris Story, the positivity guru, the man, the myth, the legend. He's a potter, he's a realtor, he's a radio show host, he's an author, he's a writer, he's a biker, he's a lover, he's a stealer, <laughs> he's a, uh, he does all kinds of stuff. He, uh, he makes me feel tired just looking at his resume. Chris Story, the man from Homer, good morning my friend, how are you? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. I'm anxious to talk about how to get over the hill, which is kind of a double entendre. You'll get it. Double entendre. I'll get it. Wait, are you insinuating that I always get the double entendre? Um, uh, Chris uh, is, uh, of course, comes in and gives us our life coaching lesson every week. Getting over the hill. I mean, I made the joke earlier. I think you and I are both over the hill. We're both over 50, right? Isn't that always the the mm -hmm. joke? When I had my 50th birthday, everybody was sending me over the hill. Now you're old kind of thing. And I had to think, I don't feel any different than yesterday, but maybe, maybe I am over the hill. Is that what you're talking about or something new? Give me the give me the rundown here. Yeah, it's all in a state of mind. I'm in the process of rereading Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And I and I I dip and dive into it a lot throughout the year. It's just always sort of at my fingertip. And as I'm preparing maybe uh, some thoughts for um, on top of the world radio or or you know millionaire minute or my backyard millionaire show something i'm always dipping into it in and out of it i've got a handful of books that i go to throughout the year but once a year i'll start at page one read the introduction and reread the entirety of the work by napoleon hill written in as you know 1937 just coming out of the great depression but it's really an right. amalgamation or a collection of his thoughts and ideas starting in 1922 when he began his association with Andrew Carnegie. And Andrew Carnegie by then was a billionaire class of today. He was uh, worth 320 or 350 million by different estimations, which is equivalent to, you know, say probably 10 or $20 billion today. And his buying power was just amazing and massive. And he had influence around the world. And he told Napoleon Hill, like to, he inspired him to go on this trek and this journey to find out and discover and share the secret of success with as many human beings as possible because that was one of the things one of the legacies Andrew Carnegie wanted to leave behind and so Napoleon Hill ended up writing the laws of success and other books and then um blew up his life numerous times and that's what I love they say never meet your hero and you know you read Lifetime of Riches which is a book about Napoleon Hill and he really blew up several marriages in his life and used and abused a child who yeah, when I say abused I mean monetarily he he took advantage of him during the depression he'd lost everything he goes to live with his son whom he had helped 
and really given a whole way of life to it because his son was born without ears and he but he never napoleon never gave up i said you will hear and he convinced himself and convinced his son you will hear and eventually through the aid of you know mechanized uh, hearing aids he was able to actually hear and, and have a uh, you know more more normally abled life as a result of that but anyway he goes to live with him and he, he just he's abusive verbally he's not nice he he just he and his new wife are basically squatting and his son's already overcrowded flat and and he ends up writing the manuscript which became fake and grow rich whilst there at the you know at the largesse of his son essentially the, the graces of his son whom he is as in just wasn't nice to and um ironically put the rights to his new book in his new wife's name exclusively so as to avoid his ex-wife of ever having any monetary claim or benefit <laughs> from it. Then she later divorced him and the new wife and stripped him of any rights to use Think or Grow Rich. And he could never use it. He really didn't benefit right. from it except for his name. His name was out on the cover, but he didn't have the rights to it. But he was able to take and repackage that philosophy in, in many other books. And But the point is, you know, it isn't the man. It isn't the person. It was the work. It was the fingerprints Napoleon Hill left behind and very simple formulas, very simple, easy to follow, almost like recipes for do these things and the cake will come out like this. And they've been time tested. And this is why they've been repeated and honored and revered for over 100 years. His work starting back in, like I say, 1920, 1922 with the laws of success. Uh, culminating finally in his greatest work, you know, this, this thick and grow rich, but it, just simple things. And I think we tend to overcomplicate success in general, or we, we live without just a few little tips and tricks that might have otherwise saved you years or a lifetime of poverty or ill health or unhappiness. And that's what I think why we'll never really get over Hill probably in, in this country. Well, Napoleon Hill's you know, fingerprints will probably remain with us. And here we are, like I say, over 100 years later, still talking about and he's still got an influence in in many areas of positive psychology to self-help and self-improvement and and people that, that manage wealth and, and encourage other people how to manage wealth. So we may never get over the hill, get it? But <laughs> if you, you know, I just so I brought with me today, basically, Napoleon Hill's six simple steps to accomplish anything in life. And I thought, but a little preamble was warranted, because I think, you know, there, there could almost be like this, you know, idolatry or something relative to somebody like him. And it's not at all. He was a flawed man. He was a, he was an imperfect human being, made a lot of mistakes, ultimately, you know, got it right and got it figured out. But I don't think the message ought to have been confused with the messenger just because he made a mess of his life doesn't mean that his message isn't still worth hearing right absolutely and as you say i mean he's got works that are still that came before and after that continue to just resonate and as we say you yes. know as we've said in the past i mean there's nothing new under the sun hill just basically is delineating laws of success that have been there for years and written by others i mean orson sweat martin and more uh, were predecessors or contemporaries to Hill that were writing basically about the same thing. Uh, those ideas and philosophies will be with us forever uh, as long as we yeah. listen and listen for them and apply them. Exactly. Like just take, for example, the six simple steps. And if you got nothing else from Napoleon Hill, but these six 
simple steps and you can apply them towards the acquisition of money, happiness, better relationships, improved relationships, a relationship if you don't have one, um, better health, as I say, every every aspect of life throughout the whole, whatever it is you're looking to do or improve or become, these simple little things will make all the difference. And the first one is so obvious, but to fix in your mind exactly the goal you desire, be very specific and detailed. Basically, what do you want? Or another question, who do you want to become? Who do you want in your life? How do you want to live? Be def- definite and and be as specific as possible. Step two, create a plan and break it down into small, actionable steps, eating the elephant one bite at a time, cliche but true, and just being able to just see what you want and then put a plan together is so obvious and so simple and rudimentary, but also can be so difficult or easy to put off and procrastinate. And third makes it quantifiable is to write it down, write down a statement that you'll read aloud and reading it out loud and speaking it out loud is an important part of psychology, whether whether really Napoleon Hill or his predecessors understood how important that was or not, or just, just put it in the practice and said, yeah, th- this makes good sense. But from a psychological standpoint and from all we know about MRI research about the brain, you truly do have the ability to, through your auditory senses, talk to yourself and talk to your subconscious and program your subconscious. So fix in your mind what you want, create a plan to get it, become it, do it. And then third, write it down and read that statement back to yourself repeatedly. And I love that he he always put it, and so many other people have, but morning and night, start your day with it, end your day with it, and the rest will fill in between. Ah, uh, I mean, this is uh, this is this is like going back to a comfortable old, uh, uh, <clears throat> well, a comfortable old book or a comfortable old movie. I love getting back into the uh, the roots. I think Thinking Grow Rich was one of my first books that I read. That was a series, you know, that was a a big, I guess, novel length. I mean, I read a lot of pamphlets. I read a lot of smaller things. I read some of the Augmandino stuff, but I think the first deep dive book that I ever read in this regard was Thinking Grow Rich. It is still one of my favorites. Me too, me too, which is why I read it cover to cover once a year, um, no matter what. And, and step four is what you and I are doing right here. Surround yourself with like-minded people who support your ambitions. And he always recommended, and this actually came directly from Andrew Carnegie, to build a mastermind. Andrew Carnegie didn't know all there was to know about steel and and forging. He didn't know it all and, and mining and all the other things that went into his giant steel trust but he knew the right people, surrounded himself with the right people. Have you ever had a goal or an ambition or something you want to do and you tell the wrong person or, or you're surrounded by people who don't believe you can do it? I've tried it, failed. I, you can't. Who, who do you think you are? It's one of my favorite questions when I interview somebody who is incredibly successful. I'd love to start with that question. Who do you think you are? Because depending on the tone you put on that question or the intonation, it's like, no, seriously, who do you think you are? Tell me. I'd, I want to know who you think you are or how dare you? And so who do you surround yourself with and who who do you put into that circle, that inner circle uh, that is so eloquently written about in a little book called The Backyard Millionaire? You have two circles. There's an inner and an outer. Who do you allow into that inner circle, not just by proximity, but by virtue of their influence on you? Who will be surrounding you makes a huge difference. And then five, maintain a positive mental attitude. What's funny is Napoleon Hill wrote about this very, very early. And then later with his work with W. Clement Stone, they got into 
not an argument, but they got into a disagreement when they were writing their book, The Ladder of Success, about what's more important, a definite plan or a positive mental attitude. Well, W. Clement Stone won the debate and the date probably because he was incredibly successful and the one that was paying the bills. Right. And Napoleon was kind of rising from the ashes with his help. And so they finally said, okay, fine. Positive mental attitude, number one, definite chief aim and plan, number two, fine. But a mental attitude, how do you see yourself? How do you see the world? Um, one of my favorite expressions, I think it was Catherine Ponder said it, um, that or Ella Wheeler Wilcox said, two men looked out from prison bars one saw the mud, the other the stars. So what are you looking at? We're all in the same circumstance. What right. do you see? Your attitude's gonna make all the difference. And sixth and finally, take immediate, persistent action. It, it, the best plan in the yeah. world left in a drawer is yeah. worthless. Do something about it. Don't get baked in a squat. Don't get analysis paralysis of where you're just thinking about it but never actually moving on it or acting on it, That's uh, which I think is a big problem. Um, those are all, I mean, those six steps are fantastic. And I think they, I've, they've led for me in my life to a lot of great things as I've continued to exhume. I want to go back though, to this positive mental attitude thing for a second. So Hill was saying that chief definite purpose was number one. And W. Clement Stone was yep. saying that the attitude, I would have to agree. I mean, where do you fall on that debate? Where, where, if you were arguing that, where would you fall on that debate? Uh, with W. Clement Stone, yeah. because you can have the greatest plan and purpose and definite chief fame, have it all mapped out and have a, a, you know, a terrible attitude or a negative attitude or leaning away from anything positive. And I think you'll become the person yeah. that is poisoning the well for those around you and probably lead to uh, less success in life and or relationships. Well, so, yeah, I fall into the positive. Balance. Yeah, and I would too. I would fall in the double W. Clement Stone category because, again, even if I didn't have any of the other five, if I didn't have a chief definite aim, I didn't have a plan, I didn't have any of those things, I wasn't really going to take action, but I did have a positive mental attitude, at least – my life would be happier, right? I mean, at least because I could control my thoughts on circumstances and everything else. If I at least had a positive mental attitude, I could be selling shekels on the streets, you know, or 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 street sweeping or shoveling out stables. But if my mental attitude was good, then life is better. I mean, I think that should be almost number one on the list when it's all said and done. I agree. And I think Jim Rohn put it like this, because I think a lot of people confuse motivation like oh like well people accused zig ziglar of just oh you're one of them motivational speakers right and i mean motivation doesn't last does it and zig replied eloquently no but neither does bathing but i suggest you do it every day and it's the same thing so um, motivation isn't necessarily just being happy right. i think or having a a sort of a glee gleeful smile while you're mucking out the the stalls of theses for whatever you know what i mean it's not just about being happy in the circumstance as much as it is a positive mental attitude will lead you to where you want to go faster and more powerfully than a negative attitude and the best of plans again put into the hands of somebody who has negative thinking or is constantly looking for what's not going to work well unless you're building a bridge or an airplane engine um you know i, I don't think you're going to go quite as far i do want pessimists to be engineers for sure and question everything. But I think, you know, it, Jim Rohn said it, back to my point, Jim Rohn said, you can motivate an idiot and now you have a motivated idiot. 
So you have to have, I think, a combination <laughs> of the plan, a good plan and education, but maintain that positive mental attitude. Maybe put that over the whole, the top of the whole thing as an umbrella combined with faith. You must yeah. have faith and faith is something that is acquired through practice. Yeah. Well, I would still argue that even the dumbest person in the world with a positive mental attitude is probably still more fun to be around than the opposite yeah. of that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, I mean, I think it's still, I think it's still important, but you're right. You need all six things need to be working in synergy to be able to make it, uh, to make it happen. Uh, the book is called think and grow rich. That is one of the, uh, it is one of the, the holds a, a key place in my library. He's also written The Master Key to Riches, The Laws of Success. I mean, there's a whole, just <clears throat> book after book after book. Napoleon Hill was an excellent writer. And uh, and like you said, you don't have to necessarily like the man for all the foibles in his life. But uh, he did encapsulate the whole idea for many. And he, and he did that, like you said, on Carnegie's behest. Carnegie wanted to share that. He wanted him to go out and interview. He made it possible for him to interview many, many of the most successful people in the world at that time to find out what the commonality was. And I thought that was a fascinating look at basically crowdsourcing, right? Crowd, It's the crowdsourcing idea of looking at what all these people did and then putting it all down. It uh, it's, it's interesting stuff. I, I really love it. So, Chris Story, final thoughts here quickly. I guess just, you know, because we're talking about money, obviously think and grow rich. We're talking about wealth and all of that. But truly, just be careful not to confuse building a fortune with building a good life. Building the good life, I think, is about who you become, not just what you get or have. But my mission is to ensure that anybody who wants more understands there's a clear path to get or become more, uh, no matter what it is, yep. for you. I agree. Chris Story, the man from Homer. Uh, thank you so much, my friend. It's good to talk with you. Appreciate you coming on board. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Hold the line, folks. we got more coming up. Uh, final segment, Hour 2, Dead Ahead, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. It's The Michael Dukes Show. Bum, 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 bum. Why not take a quick break? Be right back. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Chris Story, I think, is still with us. One final bite at the apple, so to speak. Um, Chris, what do you recommend for folks who are listening here, either on the podcast or here in the chat room or whatever? Um, is think, I mean, because Think and Grow Rich, like I said, it was probably, I'd worked my way up to Think and Grow Rich. It was not something that I dove into right away. Now, maybe I could have. I don't know. But I feel like a lot of the other books, As a Man Thinketh and uh, The Greatest Salesman in the World and a few others kind of gave me a jumping off point into think and grow rich that it was because it's, it's, it's deeper, it's heavier. Plus it's written in the language of the day. So it makes it a little bit more difficult sometimes to grasp some of the concepts and things like that because of the way that they word things. Um, is it a book that you recommend people read right away? Or do you have a recommended book reading list that you, where you work your way up to think and grow rich? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And as I think about it, I too discovered it pretty pretty early in this um, this journey of, of self-improvement and other books, as you just mentioned, um, As a Man Thinketh, that's a great one. Uh, another one, which is, is, a, is a very short essay on all of these concepts called Acres of Diamonds by Russell Conwell. And that's a really, really good one. Richest Man in Babylon uh, is a parable style, which is, is great about 
more more than money, uh, the good life, and yep. I say putting putting yep. together a good life. Um, a little story that was narrated by a guy that I just love. It's called the Backyard Millionaire Audible <laughs> version. Um, that's great. And the cool thing about that book, The Backyard Millionaire, is that it does incorporate some thoughts of Napoleon Hills, of Ziggler, Jim Rohn, all of those kinds of books that, as a man thinking, everything that we've just been talking about kind of incorporates all that into a cool story. Um, but then, yeah, I think of Grow Rich, they have a modern version or an updated annotated version with, you know, stories of Bill Gates and, you know, a more modern of people that, you know, not just Edison's of, of the world in the past, but more modern people. And I, I give away that book once in a while to a younger reader, just because it might be, resonate a little bit more. But um, it, it, when I, I give away Think and Grow Rich a lot throughout the year, and right. usually I'll go to the, the classic text, uh, not yeah. the, the leather-bound copy that I have, but I'll just give away the paperback um, of the original text. But if it's a younger reader, I, I like the the more updated, modern version of that. And the same with The Richest Man in Babylon. A lot of those have been updated. But Yeah. Um, well, I got to yeah. say, As a Man Thinketh is one of my favorite. I mean, that's really my go-to mm-hmm. book. Um, as a Man Thinketh uh, uh, by Alan and then uh, The Go-Getter by Brian Kine. Have you ever read that, The Go-Getter? Go getter, no, that's funny. Um, but the go giver, yeah, uh, no, that the go getter by Brian Kine is uh, K Y N E, uh, is a excellent short little read kind of thing. And those are the books that I kind of worked my way up to before I got to Think and Grow Rich, Master Key to Riches, some of the stuff by Orson Sweat Martson. Um, you know, there's but that was that was the deeper end of the pool for me, uh, was the uh, was the the Polian Hills, etc. Uh, but a lot of those short ones, and especially, I do love me some Ogmandino, uh, Richest Man in Babylon, mm-hmm. Greatest Salesman in the World. Those parable type stories, I really, I really ate up. I really love those. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's me, good stuff. Me too. Yeah. And when you when you compared my uh, Backyard Millionaire to, and you said, oh, it feels like Ogmandino, that was a huge compliment. It was one of the greatest compliments well, yeah. you could have given. Me. I mean, because again, it is a parable type story, and I really. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoy the 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 nuggets of wisdom wrapped up in the story, and it is a uh, it's a really really good one. So, all right, well, uh, good uh, good news, Mister Story. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, we're getting uh, we're getting the new Jacob Mann novel is hitting Audible here the next couple days for input. So mm-hmm. it'll be a couple weeks, and it should be out and ready to go. And so people can look forward to that as well. The new Jacob Mann book, which is available. The printed version's available now, right? And so another couple weeks we'll have the audio yes. version up, which was yeah. A, yeah. Jo- a joy to read. Um, and uh I'm hoping you guys enjoy it out there. Hopefully you like dark thrillers because oof, man, so good. So good. <laughs> so good. Yeah, you performed it. I mean, I've listened back to it twice now and it's just man. Yeah, it was amazing. You performed it so well. I appreciate that. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to do. So, all right. Well, Chris Story, thank you so much, my friend. Good to hear from you. And we will talk to you again next week. Okay. Thanks, Michael. Thanks so much for coming on board. Chris Story, the man from Homer, uh, right here on uh, The Michael Duke Show. Um, All right. Uh, So we are getting ready to rejoin the radio here in just a moment. I don't even know if my phone, I was going to turn the phones on, but I don't know. I forgot to test my phone lines this morning to see if they're working. Um, Do I need the phones? I don't know. 
maybe we could see if anybody else out there is as anti-authoritarian as I am. Maybe that's maybe that's what we should be testing out um, in the. We should test that out in the chat room here. Is, is I'm the only one that's anti-authoritarian or is it uh, everybody else? All right. Well, here we go. Uh, jumping back into it. The Michael Duke show. Common sense. Liberty based. Free thinking radio. Like and share. Like and follow. Let's uh, let's get this going on here. Uh, we uh, go. Okay, uh, welcome back to the program. One final segment for today. Oof, that is the fastest two hours in radio, isn't it? Just vroom, away you go. Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and open up the phone lines, and then I had to laugh because I uh, I hadn't tested um, I hadn't tested my own phones yet. Because we were having problems with a, I had a, I've got a ticket into GCI to try and figure out what's going on uh, with that, and uh, I don't know if they've got it fixed yet or not. But uh, I do have the uh, phone lines open, and nope, the old number is still not working. So I will give you the new number if you want to sound off. And I guess this morning I kind of want to know, um, are you know, I, I was just talking about how I I get real agitated by authority. How many of you? How many of you have ever watched the movie, uh, the Cary Grant movie, uh, called um, what's it called, uh, Mister Lucky? Probably my favorite. I really like Cary Grant as far as the classic, the classic um, uh, actors. I really love Cary Grant. Uh, in that movie, there's a whole um, there's there's a whole scene where he's driving down the road in his car and he's really agitated about something and he comes on a bridge and the bridge, basically there's a bunch of signs that say no left turn, no left turn, no left turn. And they keep showing the sign, the sign going by. And eventually he just rips his tie off and rips the wheel to the left and pulls a U-turn and does a left turn because it's like, you can't tell me what to do. And that's, I so identified in that moment with that character because that's how I feel sometimes. Like if I'm not hurting anybody, what business is it of yours that I do what I want to do? I mean, quite honestly, that's why I'm a libertarian because I don't believe that it's anybody's right to tell somebody else what to do. If they're not hurting anybody and they're not doing anything and they're just exercising their free will, then what business is it of yours to tell people what to do? Even if maybe they're hurting themselves, even maybe if they're doing something that you believe may be detrimental to them in the long run, it's their choice, right? That's that's what free will is about. I mean, to go back to a more spiritual aspect, that's what free will is about. You don't have to judge people. It's not your job. And in fact, you have a prohibition on judging other people. You should let people make their own choices. And that is the problem, I think, today with 
well, with many things, with government, with certain, uh, you know, with certain uh, sects of different religions and everything else where everybody's judging everybody else. And I'm just like, if they're not hurting me and they're not hurting anybody else and they're making their own decisions, whether I agree with them or not, that is their free will. Now, Ike, if they ask me, I'm happy to tell them what my thoughts are on it. But I'm not going to rail on them and I'm not going to go over to government and ask government to use its jackbooted thuggery to come in and try and enforce my will on somebody else. That's antithetical to everything I believe in. Um, and so this whole idea, again, I just had to laugh because my the, the look my wife gave me when she said, you're really interesting to travel with. is I mean, I've been married to this woman for 32 years. She's never said that to me. Like, I'm like, really? What, what do you mean? She's like, you just get so agitated about certain things. And it never even really, you know, it doesn't even come to fruition, but you're just agitated about it. And I'm like, it's the principle of the thing. I'm so mad. I just get so mad about that sometimes. Uh, anyway, so am I the only one? Somebody in the chat room said, said in fact, uh, Rick said in the chat room, he said, I'm glad you're not the only one, that I'm not the only one feeling that way. He's glad that I said it because he feels the same way. Um, but it's the same kind of thing. And it doesn't just have to be TSA. It could be any kind of governmental over. I mean, this thing with the with the with the four wheelers or the side by sides or the the bigger vehicles. Who am I hurting if I'm driving a you know, it's now it's a twenty five hundred pound limit. What if I bought a Sherp? A Sherp is one of those big, right, four wheeled. I said Serbian earlier, but it's Ukrainian company that that was making these big four wheel drive. Those things weigh over three thousand pounds. So what you're saying is I can drive anything, but I can't drive a Sherp. And I'm like, why? Sherp actually disturbs the ground less. It's got wider tires. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. So <clears throat> who am I hurting? And even if I was, well, you're cutting divots in the trail, whether I am or not. I mean, you're cutting divots in the trail. It's, it's the earth. It's ground. I'm not, it will fill in. It will. Have you ever tried to drive, drive across the tundra? I mean, come on. This is, you know. And uh, to to watch these things, I just, yes, it's another one of those things where I'm glad. I'm glad they literally had to make a regulation because so many people had just basically disregarded the governmental mandate that they actually had to change the law to uh, to to uh, uh, to make it compliant. Right. I, I just. It's it's shocking. It's shocking to me how many people it, 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 it surprises me why there aren't more people like me. But maybe you are. Maybe maybe you are. Maybe you just think I got to keep that part quiet because I don't want to say anything. Well, if you want to call off and sound off on it here, 319-527-3864. 319-527-3864 is the number. If you want to call and talk about this or or tell me that I'm right or that I'm wrong, because I think I think more than likely there are more people out there like me than are not, because I think that's that's just human nature. I just think that society has told us basically to quell that down and for the good of society and for the good of the commons. We should all basically do this. We No, we must all. And to that, I go, why? Why is it? And why is it a benefit to everybody to hold people's free will down to do what they want? Again, 
the caveat, as long as they're not hurting themselves, you know, as long as they're not hurting somebody else, if they're hurting themselves, people say, well, they shouldn't be able to drink or do drugs or what. Hey, <clears throat> if they're only hurting themselves, I mean, that's not my position to judge. Right. I don't have to stand in front of the maker and say, I did this and this and this. That's somebody else. So what's the, you know, you should have the ability to make as many mistakes as anybody else. That's what it's all about. And unfortunately, there's do-goodery out there, professional do-goodery, who in the one hand would basically um, condemn <clears throat> government excesses for things they don't agree with. But the minute that they see something that they don't agree with, they're like, well, we should go to get the government to do something about that. Why? Why? Somebody just said this. I think Timothy's saying this sounds like Robert Heinlein's rational anarchist. I mean, <clears throat> I'm not for anarchy. I believe that people build systems in inside things, uh, inside of, uh, uh, you know, societies for a reason. We all do want some of that safety and security, but do we need the nanny state on top of it? Okay, well, it's uh, it's an interesting thought. We'll uh, we'll pick this up maybe tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Thanks, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Jeannie says, "Libertarian slash anarchist." Sorry, not sorry. Is that what you are? You identify as a libertarian? I mean, I'm kind of a minarchist, I guess, in that regard. Uh, I believe that there is going to be or should be a, a, a small framework of society, right? But I believe that we've just become so dependent on that and we've been indoctrinated. All of our children and our kids' kids are being indoctrinated on why government is the only rational solution for most of these things. And then they get hit with these ideas like I just threw out there and they go, gasp, how would that it would be anarchy? Would it really? Would it really be anarchy? Because again, if you're hurting somebody else, that's a whole different thing. But if you're not hurting anybody, then why do I care? I mean, I may care about your soul. I may care about, you know, your, but is it my place to tell you? Is it my place to stand against you? Is it my place to go get, grab, grab government by the hand and say, mommy, 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 look at what they're doing bad over here. There's, you know, it's a, it's a hot mess. It's a hot mess. All right. We got settle down. The show's almost over. I was I was I getting hot? I don't know. All right, my friends. Well, it's good to talk with you all today. Thank you so much. We're going to go out there and see if we can make a living today. And we'll be back again tomorrow with more common sense anarchy radio. It's not anarchy. Common Sense Libertarian-Based Free Thinking Radio.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.